0: as the kids are being dismissed i just want to say a special shout out thank you to everyone who's involved in children's ministry children's church awana just really anybody who's who has a foot in that door anybody here there we go awana children's shirts There's more, But anyway, thank you for doing what you do. That is a great ministry. I don't know about you, but if you have been with Jesus for decades, there's a chance that you had an experience as a kid with someone like that that was just drilling in, drilling into your mind about Jesus. And honestly, the volunteers that work with kids don't see a lot of immediate fruit, right? It's sort of a long-term investment, and that's great. Anyway, Jim, you want to come on up here? So we just want to... um, Thank you for that. September third is Promotion Sunday, and kids in the first grade and fourth grade are getting bumped up to the next level in uh, children's ministry. That's, that's an exciting time. So, that's great. Today we're talking about identity. That last song we sang was amazing. I could probably just take those lyrics and like make it a sermon and call it good. It'll be short, but we got other plans. Go ahead and read something to us. Okay, the reading today's scriptures. Two of them.
1: 2 Corinthians 5:16 through 17, page 966 in the Bibles under your seats. Here it goes. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Second verse, second area. First Peter second two, excuse me, first Peter two, nine through ten, page one oh one five or thousand fifteen in the Bibles under the seats. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
0: Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Good work. So, if you are new here, or how about we turn it to on? Yeah, we are Grace Life Bible Church. We celebrate the grace of God. We're excited about knowing God and his word. We're experiencing his grace. We extend his grace. We grow in healthy relationships and we impact whoever, right? Near and far, we just overflow and impact. And so that's kind of what we're about. And here's our pyramid scheme uh, at the top is the uh, make disciples. That's what Jesus said we should be about doing. And so we are becoming disciples. Disciple means to follow. Remember, uh, it's an easy reference to remember John 6, 6, 6. John 6, 66. It says the Pharisees had disciples. So just because you're a disciple doesn't mean that you're a Christian because you can be a disciple of the wrong group, okay? Anyway, so we are disciples of Jesus. We're following him and um, the foundations we just read, knowing, experiencing, growing, impacting. Really, we can summarize those by experiencing God's grace and extending God's grace. And so that's just what we're about. And so um, welcome if you're, if you're new or just tuning in online. So uh, we're excited about that. So... <clears throat> So here's a question. What do you think the biggest struggle is for teens today? We've already kind of put our cards on the table because you know what we're talking about today. It's identity. I and mean, there's not many things that, that theologians, philosoph- philosophers, and um, psychologists can agree on in the human condition. But, but that is one. The crisis of identity is, is a major, major deal. And so it asks the questions, who am I? Do I belong? Am I significant? These questions of identity and significance, you know, our culture, we're going to look at two places people go to answer these questions, all right? Um, But identity, when you think of identity, you can think of costumes and masks, right? And as a kid, I lived in Oregon, like third grade, um, out in the country, down a gravel road, which is great for a young boy to run around the woods and just do stuff anyway. Um... So, flashback there, a bunch of stuff went through my head. Um, Where am I here? (laughs) Oregon. So, yes, masks and costumes. So Halloween would come, and it was kind of just a small area, like just a limited number of houses. And as a kid, that's all I got for Halloween. And so I'd go, I'd put on a costume, I'd go around with my friends, we'd go to all the houses, go back home, change costumes, and go again. (laughs) Because that's that's all we have. But I, I think, I remember especially one guy's face, I'm like, oh, he knows. I'm like, sure, everybody knew, right? But then I would take the candy, I would go to my room, and I would put it on the floor, and it would just sit there for months. I don't like candy. I just went and... My mom would be, she would snick, you know, steal it and stuff, but anyway. I just did, I never like sweets. That's just the way it is. So, anyway, the problem with costumes is sometimes we as adults put on costumes and we never take them off. We start to pretend we are somebody we're not, and then we have this whole mask thing going on that. Now, it's like lying. When you start lying, well, now you got to make sure you take all these lies to make that one lie true. When with a mask, it's just a lot of work. So it's so much more relaxing to find our identity in Christ and rest. Because he's given us new life, I don't have to keep pretending. Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And of course when you're talking about identity, we talk and think about identity theft. You know, we probably have apps and software we pay money for so no one steals our identity. Years ago I got a call from a bank that asked me, did you spend $400 on music in London? And I'm like, no, that would not be me. Anyway, someone had my credit card and then you got to go through the whole thing. Um, all right, so who are you? That is an identity question, right? Now, which is the more important question? Who am I or who is God? I would submit too often when we start trying to answer the question of our identity, we start with who I am and we leave out of the picture, who is God? And if that's how we start, we're going to end up kind of sideways. All right? So... Um, What you think about when you think about God is one of the most important things about you because that will drive you towards him or away from him, all right? Our identity is shaped by at least two primary things I'm going to focus on today, what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. And if you miss the mark on those two things, you're going to be lost, confused, probably a little more on the angry, bitter side of things, depending on your personality. Um, But what we think about when we think about God is really important. So, um, what do you do to answer that question? Who am I? Where do you go? Who do you allow to speak into that? Most people, when you meet, you, in, in, um, like, hey, you know, how are you? Uh, who are you? What do you do? In questions of identity, we gravitate to what we do. I'm a farmer. I'm an accountant. I'm a teacher. I'm a grandpa. I'm a husband. I'm a, I'm a student. I'm a teacher, uh, whatever. And, and those are all things that we do. All of those can be taken from us. What happens when you're no longer a father? You're no longer a student, you're no longer an accountant? Who are you? Who are you if you take away all your money, your connections, your family, your relationship, your honor, shame? Well, you all of it's gone. Who are you? What's left? So, so it, it gets weird in a hurry, doesn't it? Because you're like, eh, I don't know who I am. Relax, we'll answer it. Um, short answer is Jesus, but we'll, we'll keep going on here. Um, so those things are things that we do, not necessarily answering the question. So either you have your identity in Christ or you have a crisis of identity. It's one of the two. If you put your identity in anything other than Christ, you are in the middle of some type of identity crisis. You may cover it with masks. The costume stays on, but that's the reality of what's going on. Okay. So who or what determines your identity? And here's another question. I have a lot of questions today. Um, Is your identity something that you can determine or are there external forces that shape it that are out of your control? Hmm. That's interesting. Why is identity such a big deal in our culture? I mean, we we have we have this gender and human sexuality identification thing going on. That's the core of identity, right? We have disappointment in in our religious professionals even in the evangelical community that fail and they're like well wait a minute I-, I thought that I was safe and secure there and family structures dissolve I thought that was secure I thought I was I thought I could find my identity there and now that's blown up and so wherever we look there are so many reasons or excuses to question our identity unless it is in Christ all right um So where do you go when you're asking the question, who am I? We typically look inward or we look upward. That's my thing, right? Um, Our culture says that we should look inward. All right? Um, Here, who am I? The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. That is in about every other movie that you can look at today. That's just what... That's the, the, the gist of it. Uh, recent studies, it, this is a test. What percent of Americans agree with the statement? Ninety-one. Yeah, for, for those of you that are math challenged, that's high. <laughs> Ninety-one. Uh, it's like almost everybody. Yeah, the whole, it's like a cor- our culture is singing a chorus. Look inside yourself for your answers. Look inside yourself to define your identity. Yeah, that's amazing, right? Um, so our culture is 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 preaching this. Never mind God, his word, his ways. Never mind God's timeless truth that says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all else. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, oh, That's okay. I, I'm going to look into my heart. I'm sure that doesn't apply to me. I'll get a copy of GQ and I'll look at 14 hours of TV a day and I'll be fine. <laughs> Not so much. All right. Looking inside yourself is fun, because you can make up stuff. You can just do whatever you want. You can say, this is who I am. It's problematic, we'll, we'll unpack that, but you can change your identity, you can change your destiny, you can say, this is true about me, and that's not true about me. And and the the, the best thing about making up your own, own identity is you're never gonna find anything that's ugly. It's all gonna end up being beautiful and good, because you know, the other stuff is just like, no, that's, that's not me. I'm a good person, happy, beautiful, except if God is real and scripture is true, then there's this reality that, that sin is part of us, and then, then it gets like, well, then now I'm in a place where I have to discount God and the existence of God because I don't want this whole sin package. And that's what some people do. But God is a real thing. Sin is a real thing. And so if you are defining your own self by your own self-identity, how does sin impact your self-definition? Because it does, right? You are still the center of you when you're making, your own, making up your own rules. And, and, and how does that work? You try to create your own destiny, but it falls apart follow your dreams but they crash and burn what does that do to your sense of identity when you're trying to make it up yourself here's, here's another thing you can't even live up to the behavioral standards of this image that you say is you you fall short in your attitudes, actions, relationships it, it, sin is just going to find its way and expose the cracks of making up your own identity and it gets worse How do you know the you that you profess today is the same you that's going to be there in five years? What if you're married to somebody that's this confused? Who are they going to be in five years? Good luck raising children. If you have no clue who you are and you're trying to teach your kids, that's terrifying. And that's crazy common. All right. On the bright side of things, in our culture today, it it takes so little, little to be above average anyway just saying now and then when i was raising my kids i would be panicking like oh i'm gonna screw this up and then i would it doesn't take much to be above average and i'd be like okay i'll re-engage as a dad anyway so i know that's a bit cynical but anyway all right so what about you uh, who is the real you is the real you that that blows up in your worst moments in life I mean, if you're making up your own identity, how do you explain that, that part of you? Or is the real you the you that you want to be, but you're on the way there? I mean, what, what part of you is the real you if you're making up your own identity? So the whole point of this rant is, is that looking inward is just a dead end. It just does not work, okay? We need to look up, and a better way to identify ourselves, ground ourselves, is by looking at the designer of... Um, of who we are. So, when, when I work on my car, I don't read my manual for my phone. Do they even have manuals for phones anymore? You just pick it up and use it. Isn't that funny? Anyway, so you, you, you make sure you have the right manual. There's a couple things here. Um, you can have a good operating manual, but being applied to the wrong thing. Like I can have my Keurig coffee maker manual, like have you ever tried to descale one of those things? It took me, anyway. So, the manual's not helpful, that leaves out steps. And so, so, but I wouldn't use the manual for my coffee maker to like, run my car, or my phone, or whatever else. But there's another problem. Sometimes you just have a completely defective manual on life. I got an illustration. Um, this, this, is, this is old and precious. It's from when the kids were like 8 years old. I got them a transformer toy at Christmas. The toy's long gone, but these are priceless. Okay, so here, some poor, <laughs> I just pictured some poor 14-year-old in China that had the, the assignment of make instructions. And so here are the instructions. Um, developments marrying direction. Do not use great string, random one deform. Include small part, don't put into mouth or you will suffocation. <laughs> you get the gist of it, right? Don't eat the toy. Here's another one. Use hands, take hold of weapons, shoot sticks, deform of transit, slob set, automation that hand should. <laughs> Isn't that rough? Like something about shooting weapons, I don't know. Um, yeah, transmute. Fr- from the compartment pull out gin pole, shall gin pole coalesce to shave. From gin pole, pull out arm. It's just, it's. we laughed and laughed and laughed. And he, this is my favorite one right here. I'll end with this because I could go on. But anyway. Do not let it line or warp. Use your puissance. Don't let the children muck a muck owing to small parts. <laughs> Isn't that great? Anyway, so for a long time with the kids, I was like, you know, don't muck a muck. Anyway, it's just funny. So the, the point is there that some people live their lives with, with a manual that that's insane. That you can just make up your own rules, you can do whatever you want, and that's, that's like, that's like, These crazy instructions, it doesn't work. All right, so um, our identity is shaped by what we believe, about God and ourselves, and who we follow. So um, let's take a look here at this verse. This is good. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's a test looking to And I says fixing our eyes on Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame is seated at the right hand of the throne of God Con- consider him don't don't look to yourself consider him look to him fix your eyes on him he endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted because, man, this, this life, your life is a race. It's a very long race. I've run two marathons in my life, and they're long races. You have to have a game plan and pace yourself. I mean, the 100-yard thing is, like, over quick, and I was always last, so I think, I think I'll just keep going for hours, and that worked out okay. But anyway, um, so... We shouldn't look to the cloud of witnesses. We shouldn't look within. We need to consider him. Keep our eyes on him. All right? So if you've ever been in a a, a running race, a bike race, you know, what's your goal? Your goal is the finish. Right You keep your eyes on the finish i 'm not going to not people from Finland finish, but I mean the end of the race finish okay so um, so you train for for the finish line you 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 put together a plan, you start months ahead of time and you 're working on intervals and this and that and and sleep and diet and rest and 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 you you and it is crazy fun when it works out i mean it 's just so fun anyway, uh, other stories flashed through my head there, but we'll we 'll we'll stay focused for a change and so um <laughs> All right, so as runners, we need to look to Jesus, not other people, certainly not our fallen culture, for our sense of perseverance and identity. Okay? Consider him. Um, a reminder of the prodigal son story. It's, it's a, one, of the, uh, one of the best stories. Um, actually, I read someone else who said it's one of the best pieces of literature in the world. So there, he said that. But anyway, the prodigal, the prodigal son, he was looking within himself. And he fell short. And his own words I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He was looking within, and all he saw was brokenness and sin. He couldn't fathom the father's love because he was looking at his own performance. And when we look inward, we're going to come up with a million and 12 reasons why God couldn't love us. But we look at him, we consider him, he's the one that endured, he's the one that sacrificed, and so our eyes are supposed to be on him. The prodigal son performed badly, he had tied his value, his identity, with his performance. He performed badly, so therefore I assume I'm going to be rejected. Alright? Um... So, the key point, don't look at yourself, look at the Father. That's good advice. Um, Little bunny trail here with the concept of keeping your eyes on Jesus, consider Him. There are some theological systems in our culture, in in the city, online, that, that will invite you to not look to Jesus for your sense of assurance, but to look to your own record of obedience. You, they will say you'll 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 know you're saved if you're consistently obedient. Like, well, what does consistently mean? What, what if I kicked the cat on the way to church? Type? Our cats are dead, so it's metaphorical. But anyway, <laughs> well, you know, what if I sped in my car on the way? I've no, maybe I did. I don't even pay attention. I don't know. But you know, what 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 does it mean to be that? How do I? See, as soon as you take your eyes off Jesus and you start looking inward at your own record of obedience, you will never know you're saved. And the enemy has won because he wants your eyes off of Jesus. He'll give you your Bible, your hymns, your church, your fellowship, your Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Bible studies, all this stuff. As long as he can keep your eyes off, your your eyes off of Jesus, because you will be confused and you will cease to enjoy the security that, that, that Jesus offers. What if you have a kid and your kid disobeys? you and goes into this this crisis meltdown of identity says, well I, I'm no longer your child because I did this thing I took a cookie and you said not to. and so now I don't belong here and you don't really love me and I don't and you're like, what in the world? how sad is that And that is exactly where so many Christians are. They take their eyes off Jesus they get all wrapped around the axle because because I I did this or I did that or I'm addicted to this and and our identity, is in Jesus, His performance, not ours. We're we're gonna we're on the cusp of getting into Romans in a couple of weeks, and that is major, big about justification, regeneration, and so th- it's really gonna be rich and practical. I'm looking forward to that, um, but we'll we'll stay here. So. All right, the enemy's tactics is to take our eyes off of Jesus. He will do that in any number of ways he can through certain theology, through um, entertainment, through distraction. That's a big one in our culture, through whatever. Okay? So, um, we want to know you, you can know. You can know that you're saved. Okay? John is classic. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, it's a big book, 20 chapters. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life. You can have life. And then, 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Well, maybe he was wrong. Maybe Jesus was wrong. You know, maybe just, maybe Jesus... Ate too much pizza. Didn't get enough sleep, and got his words mixed. What? No, you can know you're saved. We look to Him. We don't look to ourselves for the assurance, because I'm up and down, right? And the more I grow with Christ, there's the, you know that oscillating wave becomes you know there's not as, as great of freak out weird moments, but that's makes for good stories and sanctification. That's good. So, um, all right. So, culture says you're only Valuable when you agree with X, Y, and Z, or when you perform. If you don't meet those standards, you have no value. And, and Scripture says this about our value. You're and a lot more, but I didn't want to pack it too far. You're chosen. There's a great hymn who we just a uh, song we sang. You, you're a beloved child. You're forgiven. You're a new creation. I'm going to get into that here in a second. You're holy. You are a saint. You are called according to his purpose. You're created for good works. That, that he had a whole, his whole list ahead of time. All right? So our identity is shaped by what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. And if we don't turn to who is God in answering our question of identity, uh, we're going to be off stuck in the mud. All right? So this one right here. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Um, It's amazing. We are new creation, new creatures. We have something that we didn't have before we met Jesus. Um, Question, salvation, is it something that's taken away from us or is it something added to us? Well, I'll get to that in a second, but you can think about that. Um, We're saints. and, And even... If you look at the New Testament and you pick the worst church in terms of behavior, you would like, we'd probably all agree, like, well, Corinth is just like a mess. I mean, like all kinds of crazy stuff in Corinth, and yet he calls them saints. See, when you're justified, you're a saint. You don't become a saint. You just are. Justification is a legal declaration that God says you, your, your sins are no more. I don't see that. You have a legal standing with me That's good. This might give you a headache, but justification does not affect your behavior. It's a legal standing before God. Regeneration is a whole other thing. Okay, we'll get to that in Romans, but um, we are saints. We're not becoming saints. We don't work hard to become a saint in this sense. In God's eyes, we have a legal standing. That is who we are. At the moment we believe in Christ, we are saints, even at Corinth with all our baggage. They're still saints, all right? There's, there's regeneration, that's, that's another thing, okay? Um, Alright, so we have the righteousness of Jesus. Here's, here's an image, this is what's going on. Um, Jesus Christ takes our sins and he gives us his righteousness. It's a, it's, a, it's a good deal, sign up for this, right? I mean, anytime someone's like, I'll take your sins and you can have my divine righteousness for free. I mean, I'm willing, have you ever noticed everything's a monthly payment anymore? I'm willing to pay monthly for this, but it's free. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and, and there's this divine transaction. It is amazing, okay? And so, so we go to this verse, this central verse right here. Uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Um, there's two different words. Greek is great because it's a very precise language. Um, there's two different words for new. There's the new. Um, it's It's like a new car. This one is new, but there's a whole bunch of others like it. And there's new that this is new and it didn't ever exist before. That's the kind of new that this says. This is new and it did it's not just remodeled, refreshed. It's it's new and 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 um like a new baby. That didn't used to exist and it's it's new and it's unique, okay? We are an entirely new creation. So, when we become when we believe in Jesus become Christian saved, following Jesus, There are some things that are old. Before before that, we did not have the indwelling spirit. We were slaves to sin. Couldn't help it. And many times we kind of enjoyed sin. It's just what we did. It's just where we we sinned. Maybe you try to do this. Maybe there's a mask and I'm really sinning, but I'm going to do it in a way that I get awards for it. Okay? Whatever the case may be. So, um, now... After we find Jesus, there are some things that are the same. I'm the same body. I'm the same genetics. I have the same interest in temptation and sin that I had before. But I'm no longer enslaved to them. That's interesting. Okay, Things that are new. I have a spiritual life. I have God's life within me. That's new. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I can say yes or no. Didn't used to have that choice. All right? I have different perspectives. Maybe on people that used to drive me crazy. And I used to say, these people, yeah, those people, they need to get out of here. And now I'm like, wow, come here and hear about Jesus. Because I've experienced grace and I'd like to extend grace to you or to that group or that kind of people. Okay? Um, Peter says, we're partakers of the divine nature. All right. And so here's, here's the question. When you're, when you're saved, is something removed or something added? And and I put the X in the check to make it clear. It's more than just something being taken away. Like, oh, he takes my sin away. See, you go back to Genesis. God created us with his life in us. We were were with God. And then sin took that relation. It killed it. It's dead. Scripture over and over and over says you're spiritually dead. And so what salvation does is, is gives us that life back, regeneration. And so it, and he gives us his life, and now we're spiritually alive, like we used to be in Adam before the fall, but we never experienced that. We just experienced the without his life part. And so we gain his life. And the, the, the trick is, this is Romans in a nutshell, the trick is that we're still in this body, that I, I I fall, I get scabs and scrapes, and, and my flesh, my body, still likes sin. My spirit is brand new. Paul, Romans six seven. I, oh, what do I do? I, I do things I don't want to do, and all. Okay, that's that's our flesh. So we're at a we're at war with the flesh and the spirit. We have we have God's life within us. We're no longer a slave to that, but we'll we'll stick here so we don't try to read Romans and in, in um. Five hours. All right. So um, there we go. So salvation is becoming someone you had never been knew. All right. The old nature is dead, can only be made alive by spiritual rebirth. The new nature desires God and it wants to spend time with God. So remember, remember the, the classic simplified thing? Old Testament is a have-to system. New Testament is a want-to system because we have a new heart. And so there, there should be some desire. And sin is no longer, I mean, even when I sin, it, it's just not as satisfying because it's like, yeah, that's probably, probably shouldn't have done that. Somehow that just takes the fun out of it. You know, when you, when, you know what I mean? But before, I, I knew Jesus. Like, whatever. You just do the, You do your things. All right? So, we, we are interested in God's mission. We're, we're interested in him. Um, even through our ups and downs, there's that consistency. So, we're at war with one another. Here's, here's a verse from Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified. That, that means dead. With him, In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that means dead, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So, all right, so now we have a a choice. We can choose to obey, uh, but before we couldn't choose that. So, all right, um, back to the identity question and our culture. Why are we in such a crisis of identity? Because as a culture, we are actively rejecting God, specifically in the area of identity. Alright, I'm just going to zip through Romans 1 here pretty quick. We're good. We're, We're just doing fine here. So, listen to the crisis of identity in these verses. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived... "...ever since the creation of the world, so they were without excuse. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, and here's this phrase, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity." to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Women exchange natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men receiving themselves due penalty for their error. I just read Ron Brown. Someone told me this. Anyway, he was speaking at a church. I think it was, no, it was, a, it was not a church. It was a, a, a broader ministry on campus kind of things with lots of people. He, he reads this people in the crowd boo it's a christian ministry if you know ron brown he takes his bible he rips romans 1 and he throws it at them he says what you don't want me to preach word? you ask me to speak and you don't want me to preach god's word he goes what is with you that's, that's, that's just how he rolls, right? And so he was then preaching the next time, and he was, he's like, well, I don't have Romans 1 in my Bible anymore because of that story. Anyway, the, but when I read that, do you feel some tension? You're like, ooh, you can't say that today. Because in our culture, we're committed to identifying ourselves as we want. I can choose this, and it's all good and beautiful, and there's no, there's no ugly, there's no bad. That's the tension of our culture. That's why we're in an identity crisis, because we're being fed 24-7. You can do this, they do this, and that's fine, and you should champion their choice. And this is, this is what God's word said, uh, and it's not popular. All right. Since they did not fit, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous malice. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Wow! <laughs> it's just quite a list. Maybe you should make t-shirts out of that. <laughs> no. Anyway, so we are in the midst of an identity crisis because uh, our culture is rejecting God and we can find do with that unknowingly when we start to think, well, who am I? I, I can do this, and I need to do this to, to become who I am, and all this kind of stuff. Okay, it's so, our world is so messed up. I ran into this book. Here's a book. She is she. She is not he. She is not we. She is she. We need a book like this? Yeah, we do. This is where the culture is, and and some of you listening may, may be in the middle of this kind of, of of um, tension, wondering about these things and I don't mean to, to treat that lightly I'm certainly not making fun of that but what I'm observing that, that something that scripture says is crystal clear you're a man or a woman and our culture is up for grabs to the extent that if you have a two year old you need to buy this book because th- they are going to get confused isn't that crazy? I just think it's funny it, it, here's, here's what it says about this book this is from World Magazine uh, the book explores with simple rhyming prose the concepts of gender identity and the beauty of being a girl. Uh, they wrote this book as a tool for families to use to combat the culture's attempts to redefine gender, including the pronoun war. Um, when your identity is rooted in Christ, they said it won't be uprooted by everything else. Although, although the book is brief. <laughs> it's like a kid's book, right? It says it has helpful end what scripture says about our identity. Anyway, so I just see stuff like that and, and uh, it's a whole different world if you have little, little ones. Um, you have to engage and entertain on a level that, that parents never before had to engage in. And um. I remember when our, my, one of my sons was little, I told him about pornography and I I just trying to preempt. It's like, hey, when you're at school, someday someone's going to show, show you a magazine with na- pictures of naked girls in it. And it, Maybe he was a little young, but he's like, what? Why? like, okay, just when that happens, you know, you just need to walk away. I just tried to have, but it's just such a hard world because you, you, you're like, I don't want to have to have this conversation with my five-year-old, like seven, eight-year-old. I, I, I would rather not. Well, yeah, you need to because they're already going to be exposed to these things, uh, especially about identity and, and stuff like this. Um, there are really good resources for parents about this. And, um, all right. Anyway. So, why do we reject God's design identity as male and female? Um, It could be that we just want to escape accountability to him, but it's probably more so that we, if you come to Christ late in life, you have decades of discipleship by secular progressive humanism. And you don't even know you've been discipled by secular progressive humanism. Um, those claims, I was talking to Wes and one of his uh, uh, teacher's mentors, Dr. Thor Madden, um had those 14 points. Uh, our culture, I, I read some of these before. This is Romans one in action in our culture. Bold religious claims are rationally suspect and dangerous. This is what we've been discipled in, all right? It's unacceptable to speak of God's existence so long as he is understood to be the liberator and life giver of the poor um, and oppressed sexual minorities at the expense of middle class uh, Americans. Um, it, It just, it goes on. There's no such thing as objective truth about human nature and moral value. Regular folks do not have the expertise to make consequential decisions about their own lives and lives of their children. That's amazing. Uh, The two-parent family is the greatest threat to progress and is the most powerful means of oppressing women and children. This is God's design of the family, and this is what our culture is discipling us, thinking about the family. Reproductive freedom is the first freedom. Men are predators by nature and require domestication through feminization under the aegis of implicit and explicit matriarchs. There's two kinds of truth, scientific and political. When the two collide, political always wins. Anyway, so it just, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in our culture that, that if you try to answer the question of who am I and you don't go to God's word, you're in quicksand, in a hurry, all right? So um, I don't say all this stuff to, to um, freak us out, but, but because we have identity in Christ, we have new hope. We have a new relationship with sin, which is really not a relationship with sin anymore. And um, we have grace. We have hope. And so the question comes down to, do you have an identity in Christ or do you have a crisis of identity? Just encourage you to pay attention to the inputs that you're taking in that shape your identity and then um, go to God's word for truth. So we have identity lies and we need to counter that with identity truth so we can experience identity transformed. All right. All right. Wrap it up. How would you answer? Who are you? Where do you go? Who, who do you look to to answer that? Do you need to change how you think about God or yourself? To some extent, I'm sure we probably all do. But um, starting with his word, um, what does God say about me? Great stuff. We want to start there and, and then engage the crazy culture which Jesus died for and loves, all right? And so uh, without a spirit of condemnation, I don't want to come across that way. So, Lord, thank you for your, your word. Thank you for your truth. We're grateful that we are new creatures, that you didn't just you need to grab the junk in our, our lives and throw it away and we're kind of left to wallow and figure it out. We have your life, your presence, your spirit, and may that confidence as, as your sons and daughters sink in and may we rest in the new life you've given us. And sure, we look in the mirror and there's, there's attempts that the enemy will bring shame. And, and yes, I used to steal things and sin and do stuff, but that's no longer me. That is not who I am. I am your chosen child because of your blood, your resurrection. And so may we rest in that truth and continue to find our identity in you. Thank you. Amen.